Well, good morning again. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Adam Sidler. I'm the senior pastor here. I love a chance to be able to meet with you and uh, to find out uh, how I could be praying for you. And if you're joining with us virtually and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, would you introduce yourself? You could send an email to me at adam at or you can even swing by during the week and we can connect and, and pray together. Uh, but uh, Merry Christmas. What do you think? This is, a, this is a good good time of year. It can be. It can be a very difficult one, too. I'll give you um, a case in point. Oh, by the way, before we talk about that, I just want to mention or highlight, Michael had mentioned it in the announcement video, but we do have our Home for Christmas event today starting at 3 p.m. Uh, horse and carriage outside, s'mores um, outside, and then we got uh, kids' crafts inside the building here and uh, Christmas cookies. It's going to be a great time from 3 to 5, and then at 5 o'clock we have our service. And uh, we, we've been doing Excuse me, we've been doing this every year, and it's just, a, it's just a really great time to connect and to celebrate the Christmas season. So I hope you can join us. It's totally free. But, uh, you know, Christmas can be pretty crazy, can it not? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Last week, we talked about the, the peace of rest and how it is that God wants us to rest He wants us to find peace in the midst of what can be very difficult. Not only can this be uh, difficult because we're busy, but if we could freely admit, Christmas can be just a very difficult time emotionally as well. And it can happen for a whole myriad of reasons. Just yesterday, for instance, um, uh, you know, we have, my wife and I, my family, we have a lot on our plate, and um, we, uh, nonetheless, woke up yesterday morning, my wife woke me out of a dead sleep at, uh, well, it doesn't matter what time it is, you don't need to know what time I wake up in the morning. Well, she woke me up out of a dead sleep, and uh, she, all she had to say was the dogs, and I knew, okay, all right, I can get a little bit of a picture of what's going on. We have two golden retrievers. And uh, he proceeds to lead me downstairs. And downstairs we have um, our kitchen and our dining room, and it's all white tile. And um, one of our dogs had been let out into that area. Normally they wouldn't just have their, their free reign. And she had proceeded to leave an early Christmas present in the middle of the dining area, all right? And then, do we have that image? No? Okay. I was going to show you the face of evil, the picture of my dogs. Um, But uh, not only did she leave this present, but then she um, stepped in it and did a um, Hollywood Walk of Fame all over our white kitchen and dining room, and uh, it had dried. Oh, I mean, just so many details. And so we spent our morning scrubbing and cleaning all that up and wondering why, why, God, do we have these dogs? Christmas can be very difficult. And we can get wrapped up in all these different nuances, the things we need to do, the things we need to go, the people that we have to see If we could admit it, we don't want to see everybody that we have to see around the Christmas season. We forget things in the midst of all that. 
And that's what we've been, the goal of this series is to focus, to hone in on aspects of the Christmas season that we tend to ignore. Silent night, holy night. Talking about the balance between peace and significance. It can seem like a rather, uh, like a dichotomy. How can, how can peace, how can silence exist in the midst of holiness? Silence embodying peace and rest, and then holiness embodying grandeur and glory, majesticness. Yet both need to coalesce around this time. And so we're going to talk today about glory, about the glory of God. And specifically, we're going to look at two distinctive aspects of glory. That word, again, a word that you've used, you've heard many times. And we don't often associate the word glory with Christmas But if we see right off the bat, this word is used in two very important ways. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. This is the famous Linus passage. We're going to read Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen. We'll read this together. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests." Now, there are two very important theological distinctions that we see here in the word glory in just these, these, these verses, 8 through 14, just that we read. Glory is mentioned two times, and specifically, distinctively, it refers to two forms of glory. The first, we see in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is, this is a characteristic of God. It is a description of God. It is something that is intrinsic to who God is. God is glory. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. But then the second time that glory is mentioned there is when a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. So two distinctive uses of the word glory. One, as a characteristic of God, intrinsic to him, and two, as an act to give to God. So the first thing we're going to look at is the glory of God, this characteristic. The glory of God 
is intrinsic to who he is. Just as the sun is light and water is wet, you can't separate those, right? You also cannot separate God from glory. It is who he is. They are so enmeshed that to separate glory from God is to make him not God. You cannot take glory from God, nor can you take God from glory. Francis Chan, he says this, and it underlines why this is so important. Tackling and wrestling with what does it mean that God is glorious. Francis Chan says this, what you think about God and your view of God, that is your image of just how holy and how great he is, is the most important thing about you. I want you to wrestle with that for just a second. What you think about God and your view of God, your image of just how holy, just how great God is, is the most important thing about you. Anybody know how far the moon is from the earth? Somebody actually shouted it out in the first service and they had it dead on. Nobody knows? Um, 240,000 miles is the moon from, from earth. Anybody know how many miles the sun is from the earth? What was that, Marcia? That, you know what? I'm going to give it to you. It was it, 93, I had 93 written down, but maybe three more million miles have been found in recent years. I, I'll go with 96. 90, it's a lot, all right? It's incredible. That alone is incredible. 240,000 miles from here to the moon, 96 million miles from here to the sun. We're just gonna we're just gonna tackle just just a segment, just a little piece of how incredibly glorious God is. Think about this. This is a pancake, all right. I made this fresh this morning. Um, it's really a pancake. I'll take a little bit here. I just ate Pluto. I'll explain why. It's okay. He's not a planet, anyways. Um, so this is our galaxy. This is our galaxy. If this was our galaxy, our solar system, you wouldn't even be able to see it. It would be a speck within this galaxy. Now, we exist, obviously, in the solar system, inside of this galaxy. But even our solar system, a little bit of what we just talked about there, 96 million miles, would be just a speck. I'll explain why. To get from one side of our galaxy to the other side, it's 100,000 miles. Let me check that really quick. I want to make sure I got the math there. I'm sorry. It, it would take you, that's what it is. It'd take you 100,000 light years. Forgive me. 100,000 light years to get from this side to that side. Let's break that down. A light year, so to travel 365 days, Obviously, it takes a year. 
but you are doing so 186,000 miles per second for a year. That's a light year. 186,000 miles per second for a light year. And if it takes then 100,000 light years to get from here to there, just in our galaxy, that means you're traveling 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 years. How can we possibly comprehend the glory of God? God is glorious. Think about this. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, this is a familiar passage to some of you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. What is the glory of God? How can we quantify that? John Piper gives a possible definition, or at least he gives us what I like to say, maybe a starting point. He says that the glory of God is the going public of his infinite worth. It's the display of his infinite worth. You see, God's worth is perfect, it is perfect, it is, it is holy, it is good, and it's unique. But here's where that distinction lies. You see, yes, God is intrinsically glorious. You can't separate the two. But as we saw in Luke 2, in the story of the shepherds there, not only is, yes, God glorious, but then we are also called to give him glory. Giving God glory is the public display of God's holiness, that is, his infinite worth. The Reformation in the 16th century, who was the, who was the famous dude from the Reformation? Martin Luther, yeah, that's right. So during the Reformation, there was this, there was this very distinct schism that that happened between what was considered spiritual and what was considered secular. So basically, in a very rudimentary way, I'll explain, the church, the capital C church, and the priests basically laid claim to all things spiritual and said, in order for for you to experience spirituality, it needs to be in the context of a church. It needs to be under the direction of a priest. And everything else is secular, it's mundane, it is normal, it isn't spiritual at all, it isn't of God. The only things of God are in the church and under a priest. In the Reformation, a number of other things they did too, but one of the things they sought to do was eradicate 
that notion, to instead say that spirituality exists in all aspects of our lives. In a, um, a helpful quote from James K.A. Smith, a philosopher, he, he says this, that uh, domestic life is affirmed as a sphere of grace. It's not just priests, it's not just nuns who are religious, but the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker can also undertake their mundane, this-worldly tasks with a sense of devotion and worship. But yet, even today, Many of us struggle with this. We compartmentalize our lives. We say, this part of my life is the spiritual part, and this part of my life is everything else, and neither tell the two meet. But that's not how it is that we are wired. We are all spiritual beings. Every single person, not just in this room, but every single person that has lived, that is living, and will live. If you believe that Jesus Christ, for instance, is the Son of God, if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and is living today because he did and he is, the Bible says you are saved and you will spend eternity in the presence of the Almighty God. You are a spiritual being. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the hope and the life that only he can provide and you leave this earth not having made the decision to follow him and make him the leader of your life, the Bible tells us that you are not saved and you spend then eternity separated from God. But in eternity, nonetheless, we are all spiritual beings. And so there is no separation. There is no separation from that which is spiritual and that which is mundane or secular or physical. Danny Munoz says, with God, the mundane becomes meaningful as outward obedience reveals our faith-filled heart within. When I was growing up, our family went to Camp Lebanon. It's in Uppsala, Minnesota. Some of you have been there before. It's a, it's a great camp. Um, our family, my wife and kids, we go there, try to go there each year. Uh, but when I was growing up, it was, it's always been a big part of my family. My grandmother, she started attending there when she was a kid, and that was when it was just tense. My uncle, he's uh, the board chairman. I mean, we, we are meshed there. And so I felt... I wanted to be a part of this too. And so I went to be a part of the LIT, which was the Learner and Training Program. And basically, I think it was just child labor for three weeks and then one week to teach you how to work with kids. But they had us do all sorts of different tasks because we were also kind of learning what it meant to be a counselor. And we would paint things. We would, we would uh, clean things. And one day, I remember we were shoveling rocks. Basically, we were shoveling rocks from one location to another location. I'm convinced that the next week, they had another group that was shoveling rocks from that location to the location they were at before. But we were shoveling them nonetheless, and I just had a horrible attitude. I mean, I hated doing this. 
Uh, I was, you know, I'm 15. I don't want to do manual labor, period. Uh, and, uh, and I'm just, I'm just groaning and bemoaning this whole time and complaining about it. And to make matters worse, there is this other kid who was doing the program with me. His name was Dave. And Dave had a smile on his face. Not only did he have a smile on his face, but he was whistling. He was whistling. I, I mean, it took everything within me not to just, you know, give him a little bit on the nose. I mean, I was just... I was like, how are you doing this? Dave, 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 stop whistling, okay? This is not fun. How, how can you possibly have a smile on your face? And I remember he looked at me, and it wrecked me. and actually changed an aspect of my life in this moment. He looked at me, and he said, Adam, I want to give God the best in all things, even if I'm shoveling rocks. This kid was 15, All of a sudden, my whole perspective shifted because I had lived a whole lot of my life thinking that the spiritual was separate from, uh, from the physical or the secular or the mundane, that those things in my life didn't have anything to do with God. But no, it was completely the opposite. Brother Lawrence says this, we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Now, in light of all of this, as we talk about nor can we subtract from God's glory but we should live our lives through our thoughts, feelings, and actions in order to show the world how glorious he truly is. We give God glory when we live every aspect of our lives in order to reveal his glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10.31, Paul writes, So whether or what you do, you do it all for the glory of God. And John Piper says, the goal of all of our lives is to live in such a way that when others see us, they respond by not saying, Adam is amazing, or Buddy is pretty incredible, or Brian is awesome. I like getting accolades. We all like being encouraged, and we should encourage one another. But the goal of our lives, the goal of our lives is to live in such a way that when others see us, they respond by saying, God is glorious. See, God does not want to be ignored. The heavens tell of God's glory. All of God's creation shouts his glory. In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. 
Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. I've been a pastor for 18 years. For a handful of those years, at the beginning of my pastoral ministry, I was a worship pastor. If you don't know what a worship pastor is, I was basically the music guy. And I remember the very first song that I led as a worship pastor. The song is Make a Joyful Noise by David Crowder. (laughs) It's funny, now it would seem like an old song, but... And the reason I love this song, David Crowder in this song, he, he, he repeats this phrase over and over again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And so you're singing that. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Over and over. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And you're singing that, right? And there's this plea. David Crowder, he's given this plea, uh, encouraging you and I to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And in the presence of silence, in the presence of a lack of glory and praise given to God from humanity, there's this verse where It goes, the flowers of the field are crying to be heard. The trees of the forest are singing. And all of creation with one voice is joining in the chorus of this world. And the reason I love this song so much is because David Crowder, as he writes this, it gets to a point where it's, you know what? No, no more. All of creation is going to shout God's glory, regardless of whether I am silent, but no more, because I will not be silent. I will not be quiet anymore. I will not be silent, no. I will not be quiet anymore. I'm not going to just let God's creation do my praise for me because it will. I will not be silent. I will not be quiet anymore. In Psalm 96.3, it says, declare God's glory. Deca- declare God's glory among the nations. Declare his marvelous deeds among all peoples. God's glory is intrinsic to who he is. It's intrinsic to who he is. You can't separate light from sun. You can't separate water from wet. You can't separate God from glory. But we also need to set ourselves aside and give glory to the God, the creator of all things, holy and majestic, 
Again, Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he says that even though Jesus was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself Obedient to death, even death on a cross. If Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, God incarnate, God with us, saw fit to be obedient to God and to set Himself aside, to give glory to the Father, should we not also do the same? Or are you to live this life having separated what is spiritual and that which is actual? Giving God his due and his time when you're in church? Maybe opening your Bible to see what little nugget you can get once a week? And then in that moment when your time on this earth is done and you you know that in a moment, in a glimmer, you're going to leave this place. Will you, will you then on the other side know that you spent your life determined to not let the flowers of the field do your worshiping for you? Will you be content to let the trees of the forest sing glory to God while you remain silent? I won't. And I hope you won't either. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together today. I pray, Father, that it would be enriching and challenging to each of us as we consider consider the, the life that we have in you. Because of your son, Jesus Christ, we have the gift of eternal life, eternal life in the presence of God and presence of you. I pray, Father, in light of who you are and what you've done, that we would never cease from giving you the glory that you rightly deserve that it would come out of our mouths and come through our actions, Lord, it would be so obvious that those around us, whether they be our family or our friends or neighbors or people that we run into in the grocery store, that they would turn and say, wow, there is something different about that person. And that it would cause them ultimately to say, God, you are glorious. We love you, and we pray all this in your name.